Hi, and welcome back to the Soda Pop Podcast. Today, I'm here with a very special guest. Can you say hello for me, Martha? Hey there, how are you? Today, I'm here with Dr. Suma Chadwick, and she's here to t- for um, an event that we're having called Sunsari. It's not put on by the School of the Arts, it's put on CASE. Um, it's a very special event that teaches people more and more all the time. But before we get into that, um, I want to know a little bit more about you. Sure. So, um, can you just tell us like a couple like little fun things about you, like your favorite color, like one fun fact about you? Oh, favorite color definitely has to be purple. Absolutely. We love purple. I'm a purple person myself. Absolutely. And fun fact, let's see. In addition to being a musician, I've got about 20 years of being an IT programmer. So I've got both the computer and music thing going at the okay. same time. You're a girly in STEM. We love it. We love that so much. Um, and before we get into our episode today, one thing I have to ask, because of course we have to, is your soft drink and your soft jam. What is your favorite soda? And what is one song that you've been listening to on repeat? Okay. So favorite soda, I guess I'm reaching for a diet Sprite these days, most of the time, if I'm reaching for that. Okay. And, we love Sprite. Uh, right. Right. And I'm a, I'm a concert pianist. So I listen to a lot of chamber music, classical music. Um, I listen to a lot of piano quartet and piano quintet type things. But right now, actually, what I'm listening to a lot is the Rachmaninoff third piano concerto, because it is just amazing. Absolutely amazing. We love that. We love that. I love listening to ragtime piano personally. Mm. I feel like nothing warms my soul more than that. And like, I have a cute little story really fast. Um, I used to be a camp counselor and whenever I let the kids listen to music, I was like, y'all have a certain amount of time to pick which I want to listen to. If you don't, I'm going to put on what I want to put on. And I would put on ragtime music. And then they would go one day they went, Miss K, can you play that old people music you'd be listening to? It sounds really good. <laughs> And that warmed my soul. I put another generation on a ragtime piano and I will forever do that. Good for you. Good for you. Absolutely. Oh, we love that. So better yet, that's going to be my soft jam today. I'm going to put some ragtime on the playlist for y'all so y'all can listen to some ragtime in your soul. Um, And then on top of that, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast yet because I do this every week and I give a new soda every week, but I don't think I've mentioned how much I love peach soda. I'm in the South. I love a good peach Fanta. A peach Sunkiss is the best peach drink that you could possibly have to me personally I love peach drinks they're just the best I don't know what it is I'm a peach girl it's the southern in me okay so before we get started let's talk about what Sansari is and why we do it so first of all Sansari is named after um a I don't know if a professor or his son that went to UNA and they named the event the name the event is put on by CASE if you don't know what CASE stands for it stands for College of the Arts Science and um, Engineering we're we're basically, it's part of the School of the Arts. We're, we're part of them. Um, that's our big title under all of the university and we love it. And Dr. Um, M or Dr. Marciers is my boss and she got to pick you to be the keynote speaker for it. And I'm so excited that you're doing this. So um, let's talk about you and that's okay. the most important part. Okay, great. Um, um, can you tell us like what your seminar is gonna be about and things like your audience could expect from it? Sure. Um, The main focus of the seminar, it's basically a discussion of the intersection of music and science. Um, And if you go out and look at Twitter, you'll see a hashtag uh, music science out there that you can kind of get some stuff on too. But I'm going to be talking about how music interacts in the brain and then how the interaction can manifest in strengthening actual alternate routes for processing non-musical information. Um, So what's non-musical information? It could be gait, like it could be walking, or it could be speech, or it could be cognition processes such as attention focus or executive functioning or something like that. 
But basic bottom line, um, they found out that, you know, at this point, music, because it reaches the entire brain, you can bypass damaged tissues and be able to have direct neuroplasticity, which is the regrowth of new neural networks. Um, so this results in, you know, either wonderful therapeutic goals that you can reach or better quality of life for when the neuroplasticity is in a place like Parkinson's that it can't quite work out. So, so yeah, that's what it's going to be about. Um, what the audience can expect. I think, you know, we're all used to the aesthetic element of music and how much we just love music and music is a part of our soul. This is going to also combine that with how we can use music in natural and therapeutic elements to actually do some really cool things. Uh, now, music therapy as a vocation started back after World War II, and um, bands would go around and play in the hospitals for the soldiers, and the soldiers felt better. You know, they, they felt better, but nobody knew why. And so music therapy actually started as a social science but with the advent of imaging technology that was available in the early 90s and forward, it's actually become a neuroscience um, because we can actually, as people are listening to music or interacting with music, we can actually see what's going on in their brains and see the amazing things going on in their brains. And the fact that the activation is all the time going on, even when you're passively listening to music, you know, there's, there's stuff going on in your brain with that. So it's very, very powerful. Um, and again, you can use it, you know, it just even think about a toddler, you know, think about mu using music for learning. And the toddler is, is trying to learn his ABCs, okay, and, and saying, okay, you know, A, C, a B, whatever. But then all of a sudden they hear this, right? And that yeah. actually, it's a process, it's called chunking. I asked a neuroscientist about that at one point. He said, yes, that's actually what it is because you have these individual pieces of information that get chunked together with music. So it's a natural thing that you can use for learning processes. Um, it can also be very, very powerful on a therapeutic level. Um, you think about gait. I had mentioned gait before and how many people have issues with gait um, that could be neurotypical and just had a bad fall and need to recuperate or maybe they've had a stroke, or maybe they have Parkinson's, or maybe they have autism. I've worked with a lot of children with autism who have kind of a kinetic walk that you know needs to be straightened out a little bit. Music can help work with that. Speech. Um, you have people, again, who have had a stroke, who have lost the ability to have natural speech. There's a condition in many strokes called aphasia, which you, know, you may have heard somebody coming out of a stroke that it's kind of garbled what they're, they're coming out with, but because music can reach to all areas of the brain, we can actually use music to help rebuild again, those connections uh, to the speech centers. I don't know if you recall about 10 years ago when Gabby Giffords, the Arizona Congresswoman was shot and she was shot in the left temporal lobe. So her speech yes. centers were destroyed, but they used music to help her regain her speech. So it's, it's really very, very powerful on all of that. You can use music for executive functioning, um, attention processes for cognitive type skills. So I'll be talking about all of that and I'll also be interlacing some video um, of people that I've worked with or also other people um, who, so you can actually see examples of how this is working. And I'll be doing a few experiential little music snippets along with it at the piano, just so that the audience can feel 
what it's like to say, oh yeah, I do automatically want to move to that. And this is why this is so powerful. I was teaching at the Chata Conservatory in Chattanooga back in the early 90s. And I had a neurotypical, wonderful student. And she had a little sister sibling who had autism. And at that point, um, the sibling was four years old and she was nonverbal. And she did kind of the typical things you'd associate with autism. She'd go around the room and kind of swirl and kind of bump her head into the wall and all that. And, and her mother said, you know, could you teach her how to play the piano? I said, well, sure, let me give it a try. And everything I knew to do that I'd been trained as a pianist to do was a disaster. Um, it was it just as a pedagogue, the, the techniques that I'd been taught, they didn't work. But about six months later, we found out that this girl was a whiz with computers. And I actually had Finale loaded on my computer at home. And so we took her to my home. And over the course of the next two or three years, she learned to read music on the computer. We plugged the keyboard in so that she could play. And she suddenly started to sing. This was a nonverbal child. And she started to sing. And as she started to sing, all of her verbal components started really popping, coming out took her over to the piano away from the computer. She still kept singing and she was in a special needs class in first grade, but by second grade, she had mainstreamed into a normal class. And at that point I said, oh my goodness, if I'm ever in a situation of figuring out how this works, I wanna do it because this changes lives. I mean, this is not just putting a kid up on the stage and having them play a recital, this changes lives. And so, about 20 years ago, when I made the jump from um, IT uh, world to the to the music world again, and jumped back into that, then I decided that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and get a doctorate degree, and I'm going to really learn because I knew I had good instinct with it, but you got to learn, you got to you got to figure out what it's all about. And so um, I did get um, my DMA degree with part of the credits in music therapy at that point, and also got myself trained in neurologic music therapy out of Colorado State University, which was just an amazing experience. It really was. And just got me to the point of saying, you know, I need to advocate for this. I need people need to know about this because 20 years ago, when I started this process and I, I started the nonprofit to act, advocate for this. There weren't music therapists in the area. People just didn't know about it. Their idea of music therapy was, well, the you know the musicians from the symphony are going over and playing in the hospital, you know, in the main room and all that, and that's wonderful. Music enrichment is wonderful, but it's not the same as music therapy. And there's just a whole lot that people need to know about it, and that's why I decided to become an advocate. I love that you brought that up because I was going to ask. So basically from what you're telling me, always correct me, um, is that your journey for music therapy started with advocacy. You wanted to help somebody. You wanted to learn somebody. Yes. And I think that's a very important thing. I love advocacy work. How does one get into advocacy work? Since Because I was going through your website and you have so many awards, so many different things that you've done. And one of the main sections on there is how like advocacy and how you've done it in different ways. What is ways people can get into the same work not specifically the same field, but, you know, advocacy in general. Right, right. You know, I think that the one thing that you need for advocacy and to become a successful advocate is passion for what you're doing. Um, I actually, you know, even back in my undergraduate days at Hart School of Music, I became interested in music in the brain just from the standpoint of how to hold my hand in a different way as I'm playing the piano. 
Um, I ended, I, I started having some muscular problems and ended up with a professor who was absolutely fabulous that started teaching me. He said, first thing you need to do is go buy a copy of Gray's Anatomy because, you know, you need to learn how your muscles work in order to play in a relaxed fashion and not upset that. So I always had that in the background of, you know, there's, there's, there's more to it than just sitting down and doing hours of practice. You really have to figure it out. And so the passion of mine was there to begin with. And then starting to work with these children with autism, again, you're changing lives. And so, you know, my passion has grown and grown and grown as I've seen more that can happen on it. But I think the other element with um, being a successful advocate is really educating yourself and making sure that you learn what all of this is about. Um, you cannot, you know, you cannot go out and advocate if you if you're not sure of what you're talking about. And in this particular case, you know, like even as a as a concert pianist, I would never be considered, you know, an expert on gait training. And yet I've had to learn more about gait than any other pianist that I know, just to know how everything's functioning and say, oh yeah, that does really does work. But you know, my PT friends, my friends in physical therapy have forgotten more about gait than I'll ever know. I mean, and and sur and that's the other thing is surrounding yourselves with the experts. Um, I personally think it's a wonderful thing to sit down with all kinds of experts of people from different elements. You know, what if you have a child who has autism or an adult with a stroke or whatever, you not only sit down with the doctor who knows their medical condition, but also the physical therapist or the occupational therapist or the speech therapist or the behavioral person. You know, what if, what if you're trying to get the child to do something and, and the child says, no, and has a meltdown, what are you going to do? So, you, you know, having somebody there with behavioral elements, educators, um, musicians, all of us are necessary, I think, to sit around the table and be able to work together to create successful advocacy efforts. Um, a question I have is like, how do you get to that place, like sitting in the room with everybody? Because I know that's probably the most intimidating point is getting to that point. Because you can sure. do meeting other people and trying to start advocacy work, but how do you get to the point where you're sitting in the room with the doctors and the therapists and advocating for that one specific person? If that makes uh, sense. Yeah, exactly. And I've, I've done a lot of presentations and performances where there are um, pre-concert lectures and all that. And people, basically the audience, you know, when, when somebody attends a, a concert, the audience is going to be learning something new about music this way. And a lot of the times the audience members include the doctors and the therapists. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can go out and once you have that information, you can offer to give presentations just to those particular groups and get them interested. You know, there are some amazing doctors that are out there doing work with neuroscience, but don't know about how the music interacts with the brain. And so, you know, doing all of these presentations and talks and, and reaching out and all that is, is very important to be able to um, let them see a different side of things. And I, I personally think that it's great to be able to hook it up with the music because everyone understands music. Everyone understands going to a concert and, you know, being sitting there and just being enthralled with the music and they can relate to that. And so I, I think finding these venues where it's not the academic science thing, okay, I'm going to present to you whatever, but including the music is just so very important with all that to be able to reach out to people. 
that that is true I feel like music is our biggest gateway in the world because everybody says like you can go across the world and math is a universal language I think that's a lie I think it's music you don't have to understand the words in music to understand the vibe of it to understand how it makes you feel I can be in a room with someone I do not know and we can listen to the same song and both have different feelings but we both carry a feeling and that's to me the most important thing right if that makes any sense you know, and interesting math and music are actually pretty well connected. Um, it's which is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, when I was when I was in undergraduate school, um, and this was back in the dark ages of the late seventies, early eighties, IBM actually came recruiting to try to find musicians who wanted to get into data processing because they just built these big old things called computer mainframes, and nobody knew how to use them. I know that's really difficult to think about at this point, but they found that musicians were second only to authors of children's stories who had the right, you know, brain connections to be able to work with computers. And that's the music math connection. It it was really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Another question I have about advocacy for you is like, what's the best way for someone to get started into it? Like, what's the best way to like put your toe in the water, like jump right into it? I mean, I I think probably seeking out a nonprofit who's, you know, working with that kind of thing or, you know, trying to volunteer with um, a group that, you know, you're, you're just really interested in. You go to a hospital and say, you know, okay, I know I'd really like to work here. Let let me sign up as a volunteer and what, what, you know, I can do with that. Because a lot of that is um, it's going to bring you to the right environments and it's also going to help you learn um, what's going on with all of that. So I, you know, I'd say volunteering or, you know, with, with a, a group that you're passionate about, whether it's a hospital or a nonprofit organization is, is really a good way to start working on that. So um, you're going to be in town the week of the 21st, correct? Correct. And so that's going to be the day that you're going to give your your seminar. And we love this. You're also going to be giving, um, you also said you're going to speak with medical students as well. And uh, yeah, I believe Megan's arranging that. Yes. Will you tell us more of what you're going to talk about with the medical students? Well, with the general audience, um, I like to keep it not too technical on the science end because, mm-hmm. you know, these you, you want to just really have people interested in what you're saying and not make it too technical, but but for the medical students, for example, um, you know, for for the audience on on the seminar, I'll be talking about gait and all that. But for the students in the medical unit, I can tell them how to make measurements and how to collect data and how to actually work with the music to be able to to tell what's going on with it. I mean, I I maybe it's my IT background, but I think data collection is really really important to show efficacy and also really cost effectiveness of how important this kind of thing is. So with the medical group, I'll be going in a little bit deeper on on that kind of thing and what is actually happening in the brain. We love that. Is there anybody else that you will be speaking to while you're here in town? Or is it just going to be them? Is it going to be some music students that you'll be willing to speak to or... Um, You know, I'm I'm perfectly happy to speak to anybody. Um, the, The music students there's it's really interesting because there's been a lot of research that has come out of this like I I mentioned in the early 90s was when all of this really started happening and what they started doing was um, they use what's when you when you do research you have what's called an experiment group and then a control group so that you you work your techniques with the experiment group and then the control group has the same environment but you don't do the experiment on them but a third group came into being and that was musicians 
And that was because musicians were available for this. And they found out all kinds of fascinating things that basically the process of working with music physically changes the musician's brain. Um, things get hardwired in a way that doesn't happen with um, a, a non-musician type person. And so you have all kinds of interesting things that come out with discoveries of, you know, what is happening when you're on stage with stage fright or when I get muscular overuse and there's a condition called focal dystonia where there'll be like a, a just a cramp up because of muscular overuse. Um, a very famous pianist that just died, Leon Fleischer, was affected with that. They now know the cause of that. They know what's going on with that. Why can't I get a piece playing at a certain tempo? I can only bring it up this, this fast. And they figured out the, the, the tempo barrier, what's going on with that. So there's all kinds of really interesting things that you know, I'm perfectly happy to talk to anybody about any of this. So the music students or the medical people, whoever, whoever is interested, I'm happy to talk to. Well, I can't wait for you to come and talk here. Come here and talk. I just, I'm excited to hear this because this is a lot of new information for me personally, and it's a lot to take in. But it's also really interesting. I've heard of music therapy, but you've explained it to me in a way that's like more is he, I'm, a, I'm capable of understanding in a better way. Sure. So I'm, ex, I'm excited to see more of your talk. Oh, also, wait, this is also a very important question that I have to ask for me personally. Okay. You've done a TED Talk. Mm -hmm. What was it like to do a TED Talk? Um, you know, it's a lot of work and it's an amazing experience. Um, doing a TED Talk is actually a really good way to reach out. You were talking about, you know, getting to the passion of people and, and really getting them interested so that they do want to dip a toe into the advocacy type thing. Um, you, you have to balance it out a lot. You're up there on stage for about 15 minutes or so um, without, you know, without reading off of notes, anything like that. And the other, you know, you want to, you want to appeal to people in the language of the layman. You don't want to put up a bunch of academic charts and throw a bunch of data out there. So instead of that, you want to do things that they're going to be able to relate to, um, and, and make them again, reach out and reach out to their passion, because this is really throwing the idea out there of the amazing things that can happen with music in the brain. And the fact that, it's not that well known. I mean, people people tend to have this idea in their head that music therapy is again this this the musicians are playing at the hospital. That's music therapy, and it's so interactive and it's so goal oriented. And you know, to become a certified music therapist, you have to go through this educational pathway um, that is so goal oriented. With you know, how are you going to work with the patient on this? So doing the TED Talks is just an amazing experience to be able to, um, I think, really reach out to the world and say, look, this is really great stuff. Um, let's do it. Let's really do it. So, it, you know, doing I, I've actually done two TED Talks and they've been great experiences. I love TED Talks. So that was just a personal question for me. But sure. um, <laughs> uh, before we leave, um, I do have to ask. What's one good thing that happens to you? What's your fizzle down feel good of this week? Well, you know what? I actually got back to my sewing room this week. I, I'm a quilter and, um, and I found some really cool patterns for little miniature quilts that I made into coasters. Um, so periodically I, I get up to my sewing room and I, I do that to kind of, it's another creative branch out to be able to, to get the brain going a little bit. And I, I love it. 
oh my god I love sewing I'm, I'm a crafter myself and it's been like amazing because like that actually goes into my fizzle down feel good of this week um I'm taking a puppetry class and we built our puppets today and we got to hand cool. sew them that's and, cool yes I'm absolutely in love and now I'm gonna make like 17 more of them um because <laughs> I love them so much yeah so that's my right. fizzle down feel good well besides the seminar it's the Sunsari um speaker series she's gonna be doing the dancing the um neural tango she's gonna be doing that it's gonna be Tuesday it's gonna be March 21st at 6 p.m in Norton Auditorium so come and see her and learn so much more about music and how it affects the brain and all other fun things are there any other projects that you're working on that you want us to find you or I mean, what you want us to see or that you can tell us about and are there any like social medias or websites that we can find you for, I can, but other people can find you at. Sure. Um, yeah, you can always find me on my website. That's www.marthasuma.com. And my um, nonprofit website is www.mtgic.org. That stands for Music Therapy Gateway in Communications. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm on all that kind of thing. Um, the, the nonprofit has a kind of a cool project going on now that we're in test mode right now, but um, it's actually... It's, it's combining my IT background and uh, music and basically feeding a, um, a music file created by Finale into a Java program and having it spit out a color-coordinated graph so that people without, um, without the capability of being able to learn to read music can still sit down and play a favorite piece at the piano. So that it's basically a color-coordinated music score that will match Eat, you know, a, a color with a key, and then they can oh. do that. Yeah, I, I actually started um, working with children with autism with this many, many years ago, where I'd hand draw out the graphs. And then uh, I think it was back in 2019, the Chattanooga Public Library was gifted a set of keyboards from UT Chattanooga. And they wanted me to create a course where children with autism could sit down inclusively with their neurotypical peers and play the piano. And so I devised this system of charts and regular notation so they could learn at their own pace. But it took me a long time to draw out the charts. And a friend of mine who's a computer programmer came up and said, you know, have you thought about just creating a file that can feed into a computer program? And I thought, that's a great idea. So we, we got a grant from the Unfoundation of Chattanooga. So I was able to hire a developer to be able to do that. And we're in test mode with that. So that, and that'll be a free product that will be available on the website, the nonprofit website once it's out there. We love that. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for sitting here with us and sharing your time with us today. Um, I really do appreciate that. And you sharing our knowledge, so me and all the listeners. Absolutely. Um, My pleasure. So thank you guys. Thank you all so much for listening. I really do appreciate you sitting here listening to us today. And hopefully you'll come see her um, on March 21st. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.